Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name's Daniel. It's the kid. Hey, everyone. It's Carl Anka. This is our Group C preview. So go back and listen to Group A and B. Happy Friday, everybody. We're going to start with Mexico. Now, Mexico have been, I think, to six or seven straight rounds of 16s. It's the curse. But they haven't reached the the quarterfinals. The Um, curse of the last 16. Do you guys think this is the time that Mexico can get past the round of 16? Or will they even get out of the group? I don't think they get out of the other group. I think this is going to be a, because I spoke to a Mexican yes yesterday and he was like, yeah, no one has any faith in this team. They, they didn't take Chicharito. They didn't take Carlos Vea. They're taking Jimenez, who's still currently injured. So he's not going to be, be match, match fit. Corona from Sevilla is injured as well. He's not yeah, going to so, be Yeah, so it's, it's a mess. So for me, I, I really do feel that I don't think they make it out of the group. It's a shame. It's a shame. I really want Mexico to break, to break the curse. Like hope, uh, the the majority of Mexican football fans I've I've spoken to are not holding their breath. It sounds as if the the squad has an aging core and and the new breed hasn't quite taken over yet. Uh, and I think Poland are, are good; they're strong. So Mexico might not make it out of the group. And even if they do, uh, the possible round of sixteen matchup is not great. Uh. It's isn't that the bad thing that you would think Argentina finished first? Whoever mm-hmm. finishes second is likely to play France. So if Mexico make it, it's going to be seven or eight in a row. But I got to speak with Cesar Hernandez from the Mexican Soccer Show, and uh, this is the conversation I had with Cesar. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. So Cesar Hernandez, I uh, work for ESPN. Uh, I also do the Mexican Soccer Show podcast. Uh, find me on Twitter at Cesar H Football, where I talk plenty about Mexico, Liga Mekis, L3, MLS, even some USL, NWSL sometimes, Liga Mekis Feminine. So, yeah. I want to know, what do you think the World Cup does to Mexico, given the passion for the sport inside the country and even the diaspora? What do you think the World Cup does to Mexico and Mexicans? That's a fascinating question because yes, I I am a a Mexican American. My parents are from are from Mexico, and I and I grew up uh, in California, in Southern California, which I'm still uh, based out of. Currently, live in San Diego, just about 20 minutes north of the border with Mexico. When you ask that question, I mean, it's I mean, the country stops. 
you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the culture, people sometimes ask me, like, when did you start getting into soccer? When did you start following it? And it's like, I don't know, because, you know, there are jokes made that like, when I was born, there are already jerseys being put on me. <laughs> you know? And I think that's the same thing with a lot of other Mexicans and Mexican Americans, where it's just synonymous with everyday life. It's just synonymous with your own Mexican and Mexican American culture. So Perhaps it, it is the, the the biggest cultural event, uh, you know, whether it's sporting or uh, even even beyond sports. And maybe maybe it is the biggest cultural event for for Mexican Mexican Americans um, when the World Cup happens every four years. So I can't understate or I can't overstate, I guess I should say, how massive it is and how hugely important it is for Mexicans and Mexican Americans. If you could kind of walk me through Concacaf qualification, if you look at the table, you see that Mexico. We're in second place, but we're in second place just on due to goal differential with Canada, who finished with a plus 16, Mexico finished with plus nine. So on paper, this looks like a pretty good run. But when you really dive into these games, when you really dive into these individual performances by L3, tense is, is probably the, the words that I would use to describe Mexico's World, uh, World Cup qualifying run. It wasn't a number of convincing victories. It wasn't multi-goal victories. And when you couple it with Mexico not doing well against Canada, United States, then you saw more and more pressure being put on Mexico manager Carrado Tata Martino. When Tata Martino first showed up in 2019, he really employed a very attack-minded, exciting style of play. And you saw Mexico scoring a number of goals and really being, let's say, proactive. But then I would say around 2021 rolled around, Mexico started to struggle against the U.S. They started to struggle against Canada. And defensively, Mexico wasn't as as solid as they should be. So what happened was in late 2021, early 2022, I should say more early 2022, they took their foot off the gas a little bit. They weren't as risk-taking. They weren't as attack-minded. Yes, defensively, they started to do better. But that came at a cost. That's when you really saw a number of low-scoring games. And yes, Mexico qualified for the World Cup. Yes, they finished in second in, in the table and could potentially finish first. But it wasn't convincing. And what you've been seeing in almost every game that Mexico has played, whether it be a friendly or whether it be Nations League or even the, the final matches of World Cup qualifiers, the one constant from every Mexico game is the chant, Fuera Tata, Tata out, uh, which is what fans have been saying game in and game out. I think a lot of fans are, perhaps not fans, but I think a lot of people are wondering if if maybe you'll even be hearing them at the World Cup. But I mean, I doubt it. I think it's going to be an entirely different atmosphere at the World Cup. I think once you qualify, it's, it, it kind of embodies something different. But every single game, every single match, you're hearing a lot of fans saying Tata out. When you look at the, the front line for the, the most important member of that front line, you can make the argument that the most important member of Mexico's national team is Raul Jimenez. And after he suffered that devastating injury, that almost life-threatening injury in 2020, Mexico's attack hasn't been the same. And yeah, Raul Jimenez, he's looking a little bit better. You know, you know, he now has the headband and now it's he's looking like he's you know able to potentially go to the World Cup. But there's still doubts about him when it comes to new injuries and new issues. He's still recovering. Um, so there are no guarantees, actually, that he'll be even going to the World Cup. It seems like with Tata taking a little bit of a step back and not being as attack-minded as it used to be, or proactive, I guess you just say, um, going forward and risk-taking as it used to be, coupled with him trying to figure out what the front line should look like, because right now there's a huge question mark about who Mexico's number nine should be. I think that and the pressure from the fan base and the CONCACAF style of play, where you have a number of World Cup qualifying games where teams are happy to sit back against Mexico, it's created a lot of... I don't know. I, I guess you can say, I'll, I'll use the word again, it's, it's a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety uh, when it comes to the national team. But this wouldn't be the first time that I have 
that I'm that, that I feel a little pessimistic about L3 before World Cup. And as we've seen the last seven editions, they always make it out of the group stage. But then again, after making it after the group stage, they don't exactly <laughs> go far after that. They get they go out pretty early after in the knockout round. You stole my next question. Seven straight round of 16s. I mean, the question I had written was, can you reach the quarterfinals for the first time since the polar bear population was stable? <laughs> a lot of people have doubts about just even getting out of the group stage. But, <laughs> but uh, especially because I think I, I think that first game is going to be key against Poland because likelihood is that Argentina is going to be on top there. And then Saudi Arabia don't look exactly that strong. So that battle between... Poland and Mexico is to be crucial there for the sec for the second spot, and I think it's going to come down to that first game, which is uh, which they'll be going up against each other. You do feel very worried when you look at Mexico's backline and you look at someone like Lewandowski. <laughs> it's just not going to be mm. easy for them. But if they can make it out of that, there's something called the quinto partido. Um, that's called that's the fifth game. It's a national obsession uh, when it comes to the Mexican national team. And by the quinto partido, what I mean by that, and you alluded to it right there. It's by playing that fifth game, that means that you've qualified to the quarterfinals. As we've seen in the last seven World Cups, Mexico consistently and has consecutively exited in the round of 16. So yeah, people can talk about the growth of the Mexican game and the growth of Mexican soccer. But then on the world stage, it almost feels like Mexico's stagnant by remaining in the round of 16, World Cup after World Cup after World Cup. So will they be able to do it this time around? Honestly, I have my doubts that they might even make it out of the group stage, depending on how that game goes against against Poland. You were talking about the number nine issues. Mm -hmm. Chicharito hasn't retired, but he, he hasn't not. played since 2019. And from what I've noticed, I don't watch MLS like that, but he's been playing pretty well for LA Galaxy. Why is that not a thing? Like, how come he can't come and maybe supplement what Jimenez might lack? Because obviously the easy answer would be like, oh, well, Mexico's struggling. Maybe we should call up the guy who scored more goals than any other player in the history of <laughs> the Mexican maybe, national team. Just, just maybe. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, there, there are just issues between him and the FMF behind the scenes. And Tata Martino has had conversations with Chicharito, and it looks like they're, they're rebuilding something there. But it seems like it was too little too late. And as Tata Martino has said in, I want to say it was a media day uh, about a month ago, he said he's considering other forwards. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, it has less to do about his, how he's playing and more so just issues behind the scenes with the FMF. Um, it's the same thing could be said with, with Carlos Vela, although it's it's become quite clear that Carlos Vela does not want to be returning to the Mexican national team. Chicharito is open, but he and the FMF have yet to, to, to meet halfway. Now, from the old guard, yes, you're looking at an Ochoa. Uh, luckily, Ochoa is in great run of form. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, a standout player for L3 because during World Cup qualifying, he was doing very well. Guardado, he's still, you know, despite being 36, he is actually still doing all right for Real Betis uh, in La Liga. So when you have someone like that, and he, when he's a captain for all three, then yeah, he's still going to be in the picture. Would, would you say that the younger core, I'm thinking Lozano, Alvarez at Ajax, Gutierrez, Sanchez, like, are these players ready to be principals in a Mexican national team? Or are they already? I think they are. I think the question is whether Tata is going to give them minutes or whether Tata is going to give them significant roles. Because when you look at, let's say, even someone like Santi Jimenez, 21 years old, doing very well with Feyenoord. He did very well with Cruz before going abroad. He's he's impressed me when he's uh, with his limited appearances for L3. You look at someone like an Eric Sanchez at Pachuca, 
who has really, really impressed me, 23-year-old midfielder from Pachuca, really, really impressed me. I think he's been fantastic, not only for a club, but also when he stepped up for, for country. I think there are a number of young players who could step up for their OT. For me, the question is whether Tata Martino is going to give them those significant minutes or that significant role because it tends to lean towards his more experienced options uh, when it comes to the national team. And I can't imagine it's going to change too much uh, in the World Cup. Yeah, I want to tap into your Liga MX knowledge. I'm loath to try to say Liga MX because I have no idea where it goes from there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So who do you think is one player from the Mexican league that you think if they get the minutes, they could really shock people in games against Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Poland, and that fourth game that maybe they may play? Kevin Alvarez at right back is another very, very good player who I think should be potentially making the move uh, abroad. He's a 23-year-old uh, fullback for 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 the Liga Mekis team. Pachuca, he, I think he has immense potential. And I think he's someone that people should definitely be keeping an eye on. And I say Pachuca because, you know, Pachuca in, in Mexico and in Liga Mekis, they're very well known for having a famous academy uh, for developing young players. You know, sometimes they'll make signings for players that are underrated. And I think someone along those lines is a Luis Chavez out of nowhere over the last year or so he's become one of the best players in Liga Mekis. He's rocketed up the depth chart for all three uh, in the midfield. What he does like to do is he loves to take shots from distance. And I wouldn't be surprised whether it be off the bench or even a starting role. He's going to test goalkeepers. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he makes a, he makes a highlight or two with one of his opportunities. Who do you think wins the world cup? Oh, wow. Huh. You know, uh, I love how that question just throws people. It's like it, <laughs> I kind of think about it. Because it's funny because I'm, you know, when you, when you think about the World Cup, sometimes like I, I think about only the short term. I'm just I'm just hyper fixating on on the group stage and anything beyond that it throws you off. But there's like this romantic idea too to to think of potentially Argentina uh, when you when you see the level Messi's at the, and you know and he's getting a little bit older and you know there'd be it'd be nice for him to finally add this trophy to his collection. So a romantic part of me wants to say that, but obviously you can't ignore Brazil either. Just for the romantic idea of Messi finally lifting that World Cup, I'm going to go with with Argentina. All right. Feelings about 2026. I wonder, do you think this tournament is more preparation for when you get to host, at least in part? I think that's an interesting question because... And like I said, you know, this isn't the first time that, you know, people don't feel optimistic about Altri and then they end up doing all right in the World Cup and they make ended up making out of the group stage. If you were to ask me what I'm more excited about, I'm probably more excited about the next generation. And you look at Liga Mekis, a league that has recognized that it needs to do a better job of exporting talent. In the recent transfer window, they export nine players uh, to Europe, which is a record for the league. So I think the future is a little bit more exciting for Altri. Someone like a Marcelo Flores... Uh, who was a, a part of uh, Arsenal's uh, youth academy, who's 19 years old. But as of now, he's definitely the player, probably with the highest potential in Mexican soccer, uh, the 19-year-old attacking midfielder. I'm very excited about that. And Emilio Lara over at Club America, who could potentially make the final roster for L3-2. I think he's able he's able to do that. I'm really excited about him as well. Mexican-Americans like Julian Araujo, David Ochoa. I'm quite excited about 2026 and Mexico being able to showcase um, some of these youth players. But of course, what's happened in the past with, with, with Mexico is, you know, it's not out of the ordinary for them to do very well at youth level. And it's just difficult for them to make that transition over uh, and live up to this the high expectations once they start getting senior minutes for the national team and at the club level. So who knows what happens, but I'm feeling optimistic about 2026. All right, last question. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think people should know or might want to know about Mexico or the Mexican national team? 
I think the only thing to add on paper, Mexico's best front line would have, you know, Napoli's Chucky Lozano on, on one wing, Sevilla's Jesus Tecatito Corona on the other wing, and then Raul Jimenez up top. I think he will be going to the World Cup, but may not be 100% fit. And also Tecatito Corona, you can make an argument to say that he's probably the most talented Mexican player out there. He's suffered a, an injury with some sort of severe uh, fracture um, in one of his legs. And he also like hurt his ankle too. It's highly unlikely that he'll go to the World Cup. So one player who probably is going to make it. Another player who is going to be 100% fit. You're going to need to have someone like a Chucky Lozano to really step up. You know what? I guess if, if I, if I want to add just a little bit of optimism here, you think back to that game against Germany in the last World Cup. And who was the player who got that game-winning goal for all three? Chucky Lozano. This is a player who is more well-rounded now. There's a player who's more mature now. This is a huge opportunity for him and to really push all three. And I'm excited to see if he's able to step up. If he can bottle like 15% of how Napoli are playing and <laughs> yeah, bring exactly. it to your team, you guys will be dangerous. So yeah, Cesar, exactly. where can people follow you on Twitter? At Cesar H Football. I post uh, all of my articles there regarding L3, little MLS as well, little Liga Mekis Femini, Len WSL, and everything uh, in between when it comes to North American soccer. But obviously over the next couple months, there's going to be a huge focus on... Uh, Mexican national team. The Mexican soccer show, weekly, usually on Mondays. Believe it or not, it's about Mexican soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Cesar, I thank you for taking the time, bro. Awesome. Thanks so much as well. Have hope. I need your opinion on this. What does this World Cup mean to Robert Lewandowski in particular? No, you know what? You're not expected to win it. You know, since to already lead your team to go all the way through because it's Poland. But I would would expect you to be pivotal in getting Poland through the, the group. Saudi Arabia, I think that most likely they finish bottom. Mexico don't have much faith in them. So I think Lewandowski, again, not expecting you to beat Argentina, but those two games, Mexico and Saudi Arabia, you're, you're the guy. Everyone's going to be looking to you. Because of course, you've got Zelensky in there as well. You've got Milik, but you're the guy. Did you say you're Zelensky? Isn't Zelensky Polish? From yeah. Na- Napoli. It's weird because of the Ukraine president. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've heard Zelensky, Zelensky. I don't know if Zelensky is the Polish one. Okay. And Zelensky is the Ukraine one? I don't know, but there is a guy that sounds like that. I'm right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm right. Piotr Z- Zielinski. Zielinski. From Napoli. Yeah, Zielinski. yeah, yeah, yeah. Piotr Zielinski. Yeah, he's the Polish one. Yeah. So there are guys there. There is enough truly good quality there for them to make it. For Lewandowski, I'm, I am expecting you to lead your country to the next round. Then cool. Your job here is done. Anything else is a bonus. So I got to talk with Christopher Lash of Right Back Warsaw. We chopped it up about Poland. So here's our here's our chat. Yeah, so my name is Christopher Lash. I, uh, I'm quite active on Twitter mainly, uh, at Right Back Warsaw. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, I used to have a blog, but I don't really do it. And podcasts as well. I haven't got time. I've got a little kid at home. So those things are out. But yeah, mostly Twitter, at Right Bank Warsaw. Cool. If I mess around and call you Chris, forgive me. Oh, um, my Chris is good. Chris is good. <laughs> yeah. What do you think football means to Poland and Polish people? Uh, it's a big question. Um, it's it's definitely the number one sport. People, are, you know, love it. It's a, it's a massive thing here. Historically, they've been pretty good, I would say, overall, compared to some countries. They've you know, had some very good big successes in the 70s and uh, in the 80s and have come back again after a pretty bad period in the 90s. Do you find a difference in how the country rallies behind the national team as opposed to club football? Yeah, well, you know, the, the big difference is that the league isn't, I mean, I, I'm a I mainly watch that, really. I haven't got time to watch other things. You know, 
mostly just watching the Polish extra class, but you know they, they've not been that great. I mean, it's not that strong a league at all, really. People are very critical of it, at least on uh, Twitter and social media. So the foot, so the so the national team is much more of a a thing that people get behind. It's not like you know the Premier League um, and the British and the English England national team. So um, I think that yeah, the national team is 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 a massive deal, and I think there's so much focus on it because in in club football they're not as good, right? So. The narrative around national teams is always a little bit uh, potentially, <laughs> maybe I'm not, not the right word, but incestuous in the fact that, you know, people are constantly talking about the same players over and over and over again. But as I said, the national team is a lot bigger than the the club, than club football, really. So I, I sort of understand why they get so, you know, excited by the, the national team comparatively. So I'm going to collapse three questions into one because I snuck one in. If you could take me through... Poland's qualification, the playoff against Russia that was cancelled, and mm. then how have Poland fared between playing Sweden and ahead of the World Cup? Yeah, so European qualification was a pretty pretty easy group in general, although Poland, I mean, it looks good in terms of 30 goals scored, but remember when you've got San Marino and Andorra in the group, it makes it, I don't know, it's not, it's so easy to beat those teams. So, I mean, you sort of really could lop them off and then talk about the the four other teams, obviously England, very strong. Poland played well in both games against England. Good late equaliser in, in the home game. And they were drawing until quite late in the away game. So played pretty well in that game. Against Albania at home, they didn't play that great at the beginning. And then uh, they beat them 4-1. It shouldn't have been really 4-1, but Poland won quite easily. They were never going to really beat England to the top spot. But it was a quite easy group in general. Poland is very close to Russia, massive, strong historical relationship or problematic relationship with Russia. Polish society really was very strongly opposed to the the invasion. Um, And in football, it it was, you know, it spilled over into that. So basically, they wanted them to uh, be kicked out. And it was, you know, they put a lot of pressure, I think, on FIFA as well. Uh, the Polish uh, national team and, uh, you know, they should have been kicked out and they were. And against Sweden, it was, uh, you know, I mean, pretty tight game, but Poland were the most uh, direct team and wasn't a particularly great game. But, you know, Poland got through uh, with uh, Lewandowski and uh, Zielinski because of the war. Zielinski got in the goals for for, for Poland to to go through. Uh, But if you look at the, the games that they've been playing, I mean, they replaced their manager, Paolo Sosa, with... A uh, Polish guy you, you'll never be able to pronounce, and I can. Czesław Mikniewicz, who's the new coach <laughs> from January. Don't worry about it. Uh, he is. Uh, he is a. Um, I have no idea what the what they'll probably just say. The Polish coach, um, but he um, <laughs> he's got a kind of controversial history. Big corruption, a match fixing scandal that occurred in Pol- uh, Poland in the the noughties. Um, so there was a lot of people saying that he shouldn't get a job because uh, of that even though he was never uh, convicted of it. He's not a very exciting coach. He plays quite pragmatic football, quite good defensive football. That's his main focus. Quite modern in terms of, uh, you know, technical usage of, you know, technology and stuff. You know, he was one of the first people to bring in, like, for example, drone using drones as in training. Quite a good coach, but also not a very exciting attacking coach at all. Mikniewicz was sort of, the coach, sorry, <laughs> was uh, the Polish coach was 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 um, was experimenting a lot, and I I just don't really see exactly what he's trying to do. But then you know the World Cup is a, a different thing, right? Because you go into it and 
theoretically, you know, three games is, is different to a larger group, qualification group, especially when you're playing these very different sides, right, from different backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Poland haven't been to the round of 16 since 1986. Are there expectations to get into the group? It's kind of a mixed group. You've got one very strong side, although I have to admit I haven't watched that much of Argentina. I mean, you'd imagine them to be the you know the clear favourites and come top of that group. Probably a quite weak side in Saudi Arabia, although again I haven't watched very much of them. Um, and then you've got Mexico, who you know pretty much always qualify for the round of sixteen, right? Again, based on just you know historic history, it, it looks like it probably will be Pol- against between Poland and Mexico for the the second place finish. And obviously, it's the first match. That's difficult, I think, to to go into the first match and it being the one that everyone expects will be the deciding match in terms of who goes through in second place, you know, so it could go either way, you know, Poland could, you know, get beat by Mexico and then it's like pretty much not, no chance of, uh, of going through. And then it, I suppose the, the, the enthusiasm in Poland will just drop. So it really all depends on our match, but they could go into it, get a draw. And then I suppose what it is again, not knowing how good Saudi Arabia are. So I don't want to offend anyone here, but you know, then it goes into that match, probably, how big you can beat uh, Saudi Arabia. So it, it really just does depend on that first match, I think, a lot of it. Who's one player you think is primed to have a good showing in Qatar? The two biggest stars of this team are Lewandowski, by far, obviously, scoring goals with fun at Barca. Just an absolutely superb player, world-class player, uh, still at 34. You have um, Zielinski, who's, you know, key playmaker for Napoli, who is scoring goals for fun in both Serie A and also in the, the Champions League, right? Both of them in, in, in big games for the national team have not been amazing. Well, Lewandowski's been amazing, let's say, but in big tournaments, he's not been that great. Maybe that was a question you, you wanted to ask in a second. So that's part, <laughs> of, the reason, part, of, part of the reason. Part, part of the reason is that you don't really know what's going to what's going to happen with Lewandowski and how it's going to work. But I could see in a game like Saudi Arabia game, if Poland need to score a lot, you know, Lewandowski getting a hat-trick or something like that. Just depends on that first match. Then the second player is obviously Zelensky, but he's not been very good for the national team. I think he played well against Sweden, but, you know, people always say, you know, oh God, Zelensky's fantastic. When is he going to step up for the national team? Because I think that he's he's a player that works best within a system where everyone is really good. He's not the kind of player, you know, to grab the game by the scruff of the neck or whatever you say and just, you know, push and lead. The t- he's not a leader, really. So, so that's the big issue with someone like Z- Zielinski, who should be that player that to watch out for, really. And then if you look at some of the younger players, which I think is probably where we'd look for players who, you know, might be stepping up. Sebastian Szymanski, who's at Feyenoord now, he was at Dynamo Moscow, doing very well, did very well in the Russian league and obviously moved because of the war. Uh, Christian Bielik, who's sort of a, a strong central midfielder who's actually at Birmingham on loan in the championship, but he's a really good player. And he would be, I think, playing in the Premier League if it wasn't for lots of injuries in the championship. Obviously, it's a bit of a lower league. And, and that's kind of the problem. The the drop-off from, you know, someone like Lewandowski who's just completely world-class. Zielinski, who is international class or should be, and then lots of players who are just sort of either average <laughs> or crap. But 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 you know if you look at if you look at for example the the, the key centre I and mean, the defence is the weakest thing because you've got the key centre back is this Kamil Gleek who used to be very good in two thousand. He's still playing, is he yeah, like ninety? In football terms, he is. He's thirty four. So, but but he's his 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 legs have gone. 
He's playing a Benevento in Serie B. He's very tired and old. You know, he's an old guy for football in footballing terms. Obviously, Lewandowski is also 34. Doesn't really look like a 34-year-old, you know, True. in terms of the way he plays. And then you've got, you know, uh, Bednarek, who's the other key centre-back. Uh, so defensively, it really is, really is weak. So, yeah, I wanted to briefly touch Lewandowski. Do you think he has it in him to play to 2026? And if he doesn't, he's got pressure on him to at least score. You know, I, I don't think he's a flat flat track bully like oh, people used to say Ronaldo was a flat track bully when he was playing in the Prem. Oh, he's still playing in the Prem. Obviously, he's back again now. But, you know, people don't really talk about him as much anymore, uh, the 37-year-old. So, but but, but I, that's why I was saying about the Saudi game is that I, I can see if Poland really need a big score, mm. you know, they'll probably need one anyway, even if they lose in the Mexico game. But if they draw the Mexico game, for example, then I think that I, I can really see it being him scoring some goals in that game. He's a superb player. The, the main problem um, when it gets to very high-level games for Poland is that the players around him are not as good. So I, I think that he'll be on a mission this World Cup because, in, we, as you said before, right, he's 34. Um, he'll be 38 in four years' time, right? So... He may, I mean, he's in incredible, an incredible physical condition. Never say never. You know, players like, Le, you know, Ronaldo and others are playing on for a lot, lot longer than they used to in the past. So he may still be around in, in, in four years' time. But um, Poland might not qualify for the next World Cup. So, <laughs> uh, so you never know. But, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that he will be driven. Who knows? Maybe he will do fantastically well. He, he, is, he is such a good player. Who wins the World Cup? Qatar. <laughs> no, um, I, really, I, I, I really don't know. I, it's, I mean, I just guessed Brazil. I've got no idea. Brazil, let's go further. I've got no idea, really. All right, last question. Is there anything I haven't asked about Poland that you think people should know or might want to know? Like I sort of said at the beginning, I think Poland's football team has actually got a better record at World Cups than most people think actually is the case because of how great the teams were for like four World Cups in a row from 74 through to 86 where they qualified every single time. Historically, Poland is not a really a very good national team, but because they did so well in those four World Cups and they came finished, they came third twice, they've actually got a really good record in terms of the table of World Cups. So I think that that's kind of, and so, so people in Poland get a bit bored by it because they're constantly talking about 74 it's kind of thing you go to a old drunk uh, uncle's uh, and are t- telling you about, you know, the great teams from the, the 70s and 80s. Um, but uh, quite a lot of bad teams after that and before it as well, to be honest. So, yeah. Sounds like England a little bit. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. So as I said before, I'm, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm at, at Right Bank Wall. So I will be tweeting a lot about the World Cup when it's on. Cool. Chris, I thank you for taking the time, man. You're welcome. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Do you guys know anything about Saudi Arabian football? No. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. No. currently or, or just in general terms? Ever. 1994, my first World Cup, Oyaran, one of the best World Cup goals you will see. Because <laughs> I remember, because I remember me and my brother, because like the shirts were really baggy. I think they made it to the second round, I think. But yeah, I think he dribbled from like half of the pitch and, and it was voted like goal of the World Cup, like Oyaran. Basically, go look, look at it, Oyaran, amazing. This is the interview I had with Matt Monaghan, I think of Sport360. Hi, my name is Matt Monaghan. I'm the Middle East football editor for Sport360. And you can find me on Twitter at MattMonaghan360. Football is a massive part of Saudi Arabian culture. Uh, this is, it's like its own ecosystem, I'd say, that in a lot of countries, particularly in this region, you might find the people who have, like, say, European team first, have a local team, which, like, you know, they are interested in. They might turn up to the ground. They might not. They might pay attention to their results every week. They might not. But with such a, a big percentage of Saudi football fans, this is their passion. Their team is their Saudi team. You get enormous attendances, enormous attention. You've got massive names in the league as well, increasingly so from season to season. And I think it's one of those things that I implore every, anyone and everyone, if you ever get the chance to watch the Riyadh Derby, Al-Halal, al Nasser is absolutely sensational. The atmosphere is incredible. The standard of play is incredible. No matter how big Saudi Arabian football is in this region, and it's huge in this region, it's maybe a bit of a hidden gem outside of the, the Middle East, but it's, it's well worth checking out. I think for, for Saudi football, it's just a question of maybe location. Um, it's obviously just across the border. It's very close. It's a Middle Eastern World Cup um, that has you know potential advantages for Saudi Arabia. And don't forget, Saudi Arabia have a decent vintage at World Cups. Uh, from 94 to 2006, they qualified for everyone. They made it back for 2018, which I guess to some was not a very satisfactory experience. But this team now under Herve Renard is a serious team. They uh, finished top of their final qualifying pool in Asia ahead of Japan, ahead of Australia, comfortably ahead of Australia. They conceded only 10 goals in 18 qualifiers um, it's a it's a lovely blend as well of like experienced players and also like a some brilliant young players coming through as well so these guys can't be discounted i think they could i think they could do damage to, to poland and mexico at this world cup i'm wondering if you could explain maybe in more detail how the qualification process went within that how are they trending into this group stage so i'd say that the qualification process it was kind of a, a stuttering start um we had Herve Renard come in, um, I think maybe the most debonair manager in world football. I don't think we'll get too many disagreements about that. The man who's been a double Africa Cup of Nations champion. He was brought in after his successful spell in Morocco, who he was at the last World Cup with. It began actually almost with a almost with a defeat to Yemen, the first game. It ended up being a 2-2 draw. But from that point on, they started to slowly gather momentum. The team slowly started to change with some younger players coming into it. For the, the second round of qualifying in the AFC, that's where they came into. They finished top of their group. And then for the third round, they were drawn in a group with Japan and Australia. And people were obviously expecting Japan with all their Europe-based players um, to finish top of that group. But no, Saudi Arabia cast off the image that they're not very good away from home. They were, they were great from away from home. They only lost one game in qualifying. That was in Japan on a very wet night, if I remember correctly. Um, but they finished one point ahead of Japan, comfortably ahead of Australia. 
fast forward to today, the friendlies after the World Cup, they weren't as good. We had two goalless draws in September against Ecuador and United States. Before that, some defeats to South American nations. So they've just lost a little bit of momentum, I would say, after the, the brilliance and the, the joy of the, the World Cup qualifying campaign. But let's see how Renard brings it all together in time for the tournament. He's, Renard is someone that Saudi football fans, they really they just love this guy. He's really embraced the culture. He's regularly seen at um, Saudi top flight matches. He travels around the country with his wife as well. He's uh, very visible on social media. And also, just the results are great. There's a lot of faith in him, and they hope that it'll come good again in time for the World Cup. What do you think his budget is on white button-ups? <laughs> well, the tighter the better. I've got to say, from, I've, I've met him, I've been around him before. Such a lovely man. and He's, just, he's, he's got a real... He's just cool. He looks like he should do Christian Dior cologne ads. He's just a dude. That's how I describe him. He's just, he's really confident without being arrogant. He's really self-assured. He's just a great guy. I, I, I can see why he's come in and he's hit the ground running with Saudi Arabia pretty much. This is a tough group. Poland, Mexico, and obviously the big one in, in Argentina. Are they capable of getting out of the group? I, I think you hinted towards that they could surprise people, but they haven't been out of the group since 1994, I want mm-hmm. to say. Correct. So correct. obviously it's possible. Anything's possible once you get to 32 teams, but is it likely? I wouldn't say it's likely, but at the same time, I wouldn't rule it out. This is a very different Saudi Arabia to the team that turned up in 2018. The manager is totally different. Um, well, Antonio Pizzi, I admire his approach. I admire his, uh, his, his belief in the game. But it just wasn't right for that group of players. Uh, Renard is either 4-3-1, 4-4-3. It's more compact. It's more engineered, I would say. And also, the big thing as well is this Saudi Arabia team are no pushovers. Their centre-backs, Al-Bulahi, Al-Amri, they are solid, solid dudes in the middle of the defence. On the flanks, you should have Sultan Al-Ghanami, Asal Sharani. These guys are great full-backs, full of energy, full of commitment. Fitness permitting, hopefully so. This guy is an absolute icon of Saudi football, Salman Al-Faraj. I, myself, I like to think of him almost like the Michael Carrick of Saudi football, this guy. He just dictates the play. And he's won everything many times over in Asian football. Um, the, this is a solid team. These these guys are, I'd say, completely different to the team in the tournament 2018. You've also got, as well, a player that I just wish the rest of the world knew more about, Salam al Dawasiri, the winger. This guy is, for me personally, he's the best uh, domestic-based Asian player, I'd say, quite comfortably. Nicknamed the Tornado, he's bag of tricks, bag of skill, so much confidence. He's even played against Real Madrid when he had a, a brief loan spell with uh, Villarreal a few years ago. So I think that this team are set up. They can hurt you. Um, they have a striker at the moment for Azul Burakan. He's only in his early 20s. He's At the moment, as we speak, he's hitting his best numbers in the, the Saudi top flight. He will probably start. I just see there's, there's options there for Saudi Arabia. They've, they've proven themselves to be battle-hardened during um, World Cup qualifying. Asian World Cup qualifying is gruel, grueling. It's, it's a marathon, and they came through that with flying colours. Poland and Mexico, I see opportunities there. Uh, Argentina, that's a totally different ball game, but I would not rule out this Saudi Arabia. We use Wikipedia probably way too much, but if you go on Wikipedia and you look at the Saudi team, one of the things that will stand out is all of the players play in Saudi. None of them play anywhere else. They don't play in Europe. They don't play in South America. They don't play Africa elsewhere. Everybody's based at home. 
Is that a government initiative to make sure that we keep Saudi talent in Saudi to help build the footballing culture? And it's part of the reason why people don't know them as well, because they don't export. It's actually, I'd, I'd say it's the reverse of a government policy. Um, for example, before the last World Cup, you had the initiative by sending a lot of players to not just La Liga, but to various levels in Spanish football. Different initiatives of trying to get Saudi players into academies in Europe. So it's definitely not from a top-down policy. It's the same. It's not just Saudi Arabia. It's footballers in the UAE. It's footballers in Qatar. You know, they're well looked after. They've got a great lifestyle. Um, and again, that's very much not just specific to Saudi Arabia. I would say as well, another thing, this is just on, I totally understand why from the close perspective. If you've got a Saudi Arabian player who is as good as a foreign player, so we have foreign quotas in this region. Um, you know, it varies from league to league, but you, you can only have a certain number of foreign players. And if you have players of your own that are as good or better than the foreign players, it's an enormous advantage for the big clubs. And you will see that particularly with Saudi Arabia, if you look at the squad, it's pretty much players just from Al Nasser, Al Halal, Al Shabab. They're the three big teams currently in the top flight. I emphasize the word currently because Al Atli, another traditional giant, they suffered a shock relegation last season. Um, so that, that, that is one of the reasons. There's, there's a few things at play. And again, it's not just exclusive to Saudi Arabia. This is something that's on the mind of Qatar FA, UEFA, Saudi FA. They try to facilitate these moves. They don't always come off. Uh, but Saudi Arabia more active than most, like I say, a few years ago with the initiative for the Spanish clubs. I asked the question and then I immediately thought, but wait, Daniel, how many England players play outside of England? Two or three I can think of. You got Tomori in Milan, Abraham at yeah. Roma, and Jude Bellingham plays for Dortmund. I think everybody else plays in England. It alludes to the fact that if you're taken care of, meaning financially, the incentive is probably not to leave your country. That's what I, that's it's common sense, isn't it? Mm. With Saudi investment in football more broadly, and I'm I'm thinking the Newcastle takeover. I think is it Sheffield Wednesday or, or Sheffield United has United, a Saudi owner. United, yeah. Um, is it is it only a matter of time before they become a stronger footballing power in an international sense? So I would say, I mean. I wouldn't even pretend to know what the pretensions are, the the ideas, the the ambitions behind the people who are making these investments in Saudi Arabia. But I would say, just as a broader stroke, you know, Saudi Arabia are improving as a nation. So few people, when they saw the the third round qualifying group come out, predicted that Saudi Arabia would finish ahead of Japan, and they did it. And at one stage, it looked like it was going to be really comfortable as well. So they are improving, and I think if you look at the the age of the squad as well. This is something Renard has done so well. He brought that age of that squad right down. So he is preparing. This isn't just this World Cup. This is future World Cups, future Asian Cups. Saudi Arabia, they were at the Tokyo Olympics. They pushed Germany really hard in that tournament. Uh, Sami Al-Najai, he's a player I would highly recommend keeping an eye out for in this tournament. He scored two goals against Germany at the Olympics. Uh, he's not the only promising player in his mid to early 20s as well by any stretch. Who do you think wins the World Cup? The romantic in me, I would love to see Argentina win this World Cup. The way they took to South American qualifying, the way that Messi has just turned up this season as well. I think there's there's a real there's a realism to that as well. So I, I I'm I'm going Argentina. I'll I'll assume you're from England, and I'll assume Manchester based on one of the answers that you gave. I forget exactly what. But you know what? You said he said he said he's like the Michael Carrick. So I was like, oh, okay, so he must be a United yeah, fan. I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Manchester. Yeah. There you go. So England, any chance? I just feel of England, just at the end of a cycle. 
I feel the same about France as well, but France managed to win the World Cup during their cycle. We came close, World Cup and Euros, but as much as I respect, and I, I use that word to its fullest extent, what Gareth Southgate has done uh, since he took over the job, it just feels like he's been given this tournament as like a thank you. And I, I think it's going to be a pretty horrible tournament for England. Oh, man. All right, last question. Is there anything I haven't asked about Saudi or the Saudi national team that you think is important that people should know or might want to know? To be honest, uh, no, I think we've covered a lot. I think uh, it's been good. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I've been flipping that question because it's a very open-ended one. So yeah. that sometimes gives people pause and then they can't think of anything. I'll rephrase it and maybe it might help, maybe it won't. Do you have a fun fact about Saudi Arabia football that when you think of it, it makes you laugh, it makes you smile? Is there like some quirky thing about Saudi football that's just, I don't know, interesting? What's fun? What is always fun? If you get the chance to see Alouéran's goal from the '94 World Cup against Belgium, one of the great goals in World Cup history, one of the great solo goals. I, 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 that makes me smile. That make, every time I see that goal. So if this inspires people to check out that goal, then go for it. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. So where can people follow you on Twitter? So I am at Matt Monahan 360. That's M A T T M O N A G H A N 360. Indeed. The link will be in the description. Matt, I thank you for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Daniel, it's all good, man. I've really enjoyed this. And you know what? I'm looking forward to hearing this whole series. Do you guys think Messi is going to play in 2026? No. no. So this is the last one. Yep. And Argentina haven't lost since 2019. And, and, and EA Sports have predicted the winner in well, 2010 well i mean if ea sports said, that's how you know it's true, <laughs> it must and, be true. and they predicted Antidote to win and i call that complete and utter bs so they do they win. have to win it is more the question yes and someone maybe i have to i mean what's the like threat? if they don't win it then messi's he doesn't yeah. become a horseman well that's just me <laughs> i forgot about that yeah no, that's, no, no look look that's just me look people have already Ooh. called him the the the, the goat and the coming of and second coming of, of christ but just for me yeah i mean he, he needs to win it to become a horseman yeah so because no, i would assume i would assume i know it's for retired players but if they would have won in 2014 he's like there but he doesn't have the but, one but, but, thing but, but you know what what, what what they say though is how many people get a second crack of the world cup as in being in a final obviously in the netherlands they had since fun and bricked both 2014 was literally where Messi, Messi, take us home. I've given you the platform, the foundation. Mascherano split his ass in two to block Robin's shot in the semi before. <laughs> Here it is. Messi just, just take us home. Couldn't close the, the, the deal. Are you you gonna can make get the argument that, that Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, got like his second shot from 98 to 02. He did. Oh, yeah. It mm. does happen, but it's like it takes a lot to get there. It's, 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 it's a lot. So I know Ronaldo is different, but you know. Me, Messi played. Did Messi play in 06? I feel as if he got yes. some game time. So yeah. yeah so th he was he came off the bench against Ser Serbia. This is the best Argentina squad Messi's played in since 06, in my opinion. It's this zero knockout goals. Was that? <laughs> say, it, say it again, fam. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Zero knockout goals and five this appearances. Uh, this, this is the best. This is the strongest Argentina squad since 06. Messi is in, has started the 22 23 season in some of the best form I've seen him. Turns out PSG season last season under Pochettino really was a blip. If Messi's going to win a World Cup, he's going to do it this time. However, Argentina are. Into my mind, third favorites behind Brazil and who? Brazil and a team I will not name. <laughs> England. No, I don't love England that much. Omelette du fromage. Omelette oh, du Ghana. Fromage. 
No, I'm just kidding. Don't stop it. Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I reached out to the owner of Mundo Albi Celeste. His name is Roy Nemmer. And we had a fun conversation. Actually, this might be one of the more fun ones that I had. So I hope you guys enjoy uh, the conversation I had with Roy. This is Roy Nemmer of MundoAlbiCeleste.com. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Roy Nemmer, N-E-M-E-R, uh, Mundo Albi Celeste on the website, MundoAlbiCeleste.com, your trusted source when it comes to Argentina news in English. And uh, with the World Cup coming up and everything after that, you don't want to miss a thing. So does the passion we see at club level in Argentina, you know, there's fights, there's fireworks, there's flares, there's all kinds of stuff. Does that translate to the national team? Added to that, which side do you prefer covering more? The club side of things or the international side of things? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, club level, it's something you're born with, right? It's passed down from like one generation to another. You live and you breathe every single day. And that passion is, it's unparalleled. When it comes to the national team, the, the difference there is obviously the national team doesn't play every day. They don't train every day. You know, at one point a couple of years ago, a lot of the fans said, well, you know, forget about the national team. These guys just play for the money. They don't care about the shirt. And, and you know, but when the World Cup comes around or when the Copa America comes around or whenever there's a tournament, the passion that you see at club level is probably just as much as you see at, at national team level. You know, for me, what I prefer to cover, it's believe it or not, it's, it's the national team. I love club football, but there's something about the national team. Maybe it's because as a kid, I grew up watching Gabriel Batistuta, Juan Sebastian Verón, uh, Ariel Ortega, Diego Simeone. So having those guys play for one team for me was and still is magical. You know, I watch club football. I love it. But at the same time, it's not the same feeling I get when watching Argentina. I've never cried tears of joy watching a club team i've cried tears of joy watching argentina so there's there's a big difference for me when uh, when it comes to that but would you put the world cup above champions league and it, domestic competitions it depends obviously the world cup it's it's the world cup right it's it, you can't explain it it's once every four years if the world cup was happening every year like the champions league it would certainly lose its charm Right, like a couple of months back or a year ago or so, there were rumors that FIFA wanted to hold the World Cup every two years. And personally speaking, I was against it mm. just because there's something magical about the World Cup. Is it the pinnacle of the sport for what it represents uh, and for what it represents historically? Yes, uh, mm. but that's not to say that you know the Champions League is is you know represents nothing or 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 it's nothing. We'll come back to this at the end. So. all right okay (laughs) okay so the story of qualification if you could tell me the tale yeah uh 2022 world cup qualifiers for argentina were the complete opposite of 2018 they went undefeated throughout the qualifiers Uh, they won in la paz in bolivia at altitude uh despite trailing one nil and then lautaro martinez and, and joaquin correa scored and then they got a couple of uh, of draws, I think, against Paraguay and and Chile as well. And then after the world, after the Copa America happened, Argentina were just nonstop, just winning, uh, except for you know that draw against Brazil and then that whole infamous 
<laughs> that infamous incident that happened at the stadium in Brazil when the match was stopped after only about five minutes or so. But uh, yeah, Argentina firing on all cylinders, a bunch of different goal scorers, Lionel Messi, Angel Di Maria, Lautaro Martinez, uh, Joaquin Correa, Leandro Paredes. So you had a bunch of different goal scorers for Argentina and Everything kind of came together after the Copa America and never looked back, especially in the qualifiers. It was never, ever in doubt. Whereas in 2018, it came down to the wire against Ecuador in the last match where Messi scored the hat-trick and Argentina qualified for the World Cup. I mean, I guess the new coach, if you want to call him, is Lionel Scaloni. So for those that watched uh, maybe European football, he was with uh, Deportivo La Coruña, uh, with Lazio, had a short stint with the West Ham United, where they made the FA Cup final, if I'm not mistaken, lost against Liverpool. Played in 2006 at the World Cup. He was a defender. Played alongside Lionel Messi. They were both on the pitch together when Argentina defeated Mexico in the round of 16 in, I think it was in Leipzig. Very intelligent. Now, he was part of Jorge Sampaoli's coaching staff in 2018 and Sampaoli being the coach for Argentina in 2018, now coaching Sevilla. Sampaoli stepped aside after the World Cup. Scaloni was given the, the job as interim coach. But right before he became interim coach, he actually managed the under-20 team. Uh, in Spain, there was a, a tournament in, uh, I think it was July or August uh, 2018, the uh, Cotif uh, Alcudia tournament. And it was a tournament that Argentina won. And after that, he became you know the interim coach for the national team, the senior team. And by the end of that year, by the end of 2018, they gave him the 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 chance to become the permanent coach. He accepted. In came the Copa America in 2019. And, you know, you could kind of tell what he was trying to do. It wasn't easy because the likes of Mascherano and Higuain had stepped aside and a couple of the veterans. And he was introducing a lot of the, the younger players, the Leandro Paredes, the Rodrigo de Paul, the Lautaro Martinez. So those guys were brought in. And in 2019, right after the group stage at the Copa America, Argentina slowly started to play better and better. And their best match at that point came in the semifinals against Brazil, where, in my opinion, Argentina were cheated. Uh, and Messi went on a whole on a whole speech. And it, look, it lit a fire under, uh, under him and under the team. And people were asking about it for years. Where's the Lionel Messi? Why doesn't he talk? He's not like Maradona. And, well, I think he shut everybody up after that. So uh, Scaloni, you know, he came up. And he took charge of the team, the most difficult time, arguably, in its history. Uh, Argentina had a very, very dark period from 2016 up until 2018, early 2019. Uh, two or three different managers. You had Tata Martino, Edgardo Bauza, and uh, and then Sampaoli. So three coaches in two years. And the team was a mess. The AFA at that point had started to implement a whole scouting system across the entire planet, across the entire world, not just Europe. So that helped with uh, with bringing in a lot of the youth players. Copa America, I don't know what happened. Something within that team, Messi's leadership, uh, Christian Cuti Romero of Tottenham being brought in at the time he was with Atalanta, brought in a great partnership with Otamendi, Emiliano Dibu Martinez and the penalty kicks against uh, Colombia. Di Maria finally getting his redemption and playing at the Maracana in a final for Argentina and scoring. So it was, you know, everything kind of came together. Uh, these guys are, are family, they're brothers. If you watch them talk, I mean, they went on vacation together. Imagine that. They won the Copa America last year. And instead of everyone being like, okay, we've been isolated together for 45 days. Uh, I'll see you guys in a couple of months. They said, no, we're going to go and we're going to take vacations together. And that's what they did. A year later, it was Messi's birthday. Everybody met up. 
every single person of that national team met up and they celebrated Messi's birthday. So it's very different. It's something that we haven't seen in the national team. I don't even want to say in a long time. I want to say ever. What is the definition of success for this team? Is it winning the World Cup? How would you define a successful World Cup? Look, it's it's difficult to tell. Obviously, they won the Copa America. They won the Finalissima against Italy. And yes, that is a real trophy for anybody listening. That's an official trophy. Don't uh, let anyone tell you otherwise. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. That's a real trophy. I think I might uh, be here to tell you otherwise. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Obviously, if your team doesn't qualify for it, you're going to say it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not a knock on you. Don't get me wrong. It's not a knock on you. I'm just saying, it's look, it's, it's one of those things where if your team wins it, it matters. If your team doesn't win it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. It's it's the community shield of trophies. No, it's, it's not. It's international <laughs> it's football. Like, no. there's, there's, <laughs> absolutely not. It's not. No, no, no. I'll tell you what. This match was played at Wembley, and you had fans from all over Even, the planet. Exactly. It's the community shield. You're, you're giving me more evidence. I'm not giving you more evidence. There's no that, McDonald's You said it was at Wembley. The McDonald's was not sponsoring this. <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference. You had a whole trophy presentation. Zanetti was there. The Copa America trophy was right. there. The European Cup was there. It was different. Like, this wasn't sponsored by McDonald's. These guys didn't get Happy Meals or Big Macs after winning. You know what I mean? These, they got they got champagne. They celebrated. Okay. Um, as for you know, as, as for the expectations, having won two official trophies, it's tough to tell. Obviously, everybody right. wants to win, and the expectation is you want to win, right? You don't go to a, a World Cup or any tournament without having the dream of winning it personally speaking and i'm like knocking on wood and and crossing my fingers and everything as i say this anything less than semifinals would be a disappointment can they win it yes are there weaknesses just like any other national team yes are they going to need some luck yes like any other team uh but i would say anything other than a semifinal would be just the absolute disappointment at least for me but not winning it would be a disappointment um, because this team does have what it takes. And especially for, for what it represents, in all likelihood, this might be Messi's last World Cup or at least his last World Cup as a starter. Uh, they're on a high 35-game unbeaten streak. Uh, you know, the pressure's there, but there are a lot of strong teams as well that, that are candidates. So uh, it will not be easy. Take Argentina off the table. If I ask you for one or two words, who wins the World Cup? What country would you say? Oof. Brazil, Brazil and Spain. I said we'd come back to this. So we're coming back. Right. Does Messi need to win the World Cup? And are you happy with his level at PSG entering this competition? Because I get the sense if it was the 2021 World Cup and not the 2022 World Cup, there'd be major questions surrounding his form last year. But this year, he seems to be in a better mood. I don't know if it's Gautier getting rid of Poch, all that kind of stuff. So does Messi need to win? And are you happy with where he is? Uh, look, does Messi need to win it? No. I'd love for him to win it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'd love nothing more. I've always been of the idea, uh, be it Messi or, or anybody else, a seven-game tournament should never define a legacy. It, it really should. Like in terms of someone like Messi, for example, like, oh, if he doesn't win the World Cup, he can't be considered greatest of all time or, or all that stuff. Perfect example, we'll stick to Messi. In 2014, if Higuain scores that, scores his, his chance, right? That one-on-one -on -one chance or Palacio scores his, Argentina win 1-0. You're going to tell me Messi's suddenly considered the GOAT because Palacio or Higuain scored a goal? People are always going to find something to say. 
you know, they said he can't do it outside of Barcelona. He went to PSG, right? Maybe not the biggest challenge. He's shown, especially this season, that he can do it. People said he can't do it with Argentina. Well, he won a Copa America. And then they said, oh, well, it's just a Copa America. And I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you, somehow, some way, Argentina lift the trophy next month, they're going to find something else. They're going to say, oh, but the referee. Oh, but he couldn't do it eight, nine years ago. Like, like they're, they're going to find something. They're going to find something. So for me, no, it, it, it shouldn't define his legacy. I know for some people, and especially haters, uh, because it's always easy to hate on someone or hate on something, but especially for haters, they're, they're going to find something to, to say. As for your second part, or as for the second part of the question in terms of his form, I could not be happier. I really couldn't. Last year was difficult on a lot of level on a lot of levels. Not because he left Barcelona, but I think because of the way things happened, because of the way he left Barcelona. He was out in Ibiza celebrating winning the Copa America and then he goes to to Barcelona to sign his contract and they say, "Well, you know, sorry, can't keep you." And then a week later he's in Paris. So, no preseason mentally, I think it was a big hit. I've never been the biggest Pochettino advocate. Uh, despite the fact that he's Argentine, I am not a fan of his. I thought when he first took over PSG uh, that he could not manage egos, and I was right. And those are the biggest egos that you have at, at PSG. Mbappe and Neymar, they're not easy, right? I'm not saying Pochettino had it easy, but if you look at PSG last year and compare him to this year, it's night and day. Uh, as for Messi's form, yeah, I'm very happy. I, I could not ask for, for more. In, in terms of uh, Messi going into the World Cup. Last question. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think people should know or might want to know about Argentina and the national team? These guys will die for each other on the pitch. They're going to put in the tackles. They're going to put in the, the, the blood, the sweat, the tears. I don't know if you, if you saw, I think it was the match against, I can't remember if it was Honduras or Jamaica. I think it was Honduras. Yeah, it was Honduras. Uh, someone put in a, like an elbow to Messi's face. The entire Argentina team, plus the bench, just kind of ran out onto the pitch about to murder the guy that touched Messi. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're expect, like this, this team will die for Messi, and, and they've said it. We would be more happy for Messi winning the World Cup than we would be for ourselves. Uh, I, think, I think Argentina will surprise a lot of people. In a way, I'm slightly surprised he didn't somehow sneak in a question about Ronaldo or Portugal, to be very honest. Who do you take me as? I don't know, man. Some people like to, you know, throw, throw, some people like to throw that out there. Like, oh, like, what do you think would happen? Portugal, Argentina in a World Cup final, which I think could happen, by the way. I, I, they have a stacked team, so they're they're very good. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't somehow uh, throw that in there. You just did. I don't. I didn't even need to. I think. Yeah, you're right. Like, I, did, I did your job for you, right? I I hate the the discussion actually of Ronaldo versus Messi. I, I think it's a stupid conversation. So I try to avoid it if I can. But yes, where can people follow you on Twitter and what is your website again? Yes, uh, they can follow me at uh, Roy Nemer, so R O Y N E M E R and uh, the website is Mundo Albi Celeste. Um the name's in Spanish but the the website is entirely in English and uh <laughs> everything Argentina related uh, <laughs> on the site. Links will be in the description. Roy, I thank you for taking the time, man. Uh thanks man. Anytime. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. I'll assume we all have Argentina topping this group. So I want to know who comes second. Poland. Poland. I really I would I would really like Mexico to do it, but I can't. I just don't think they're very good at the moment. And also, I think Raul Jimenez will not be fully fit and he needs to be. 
I'm going to say Mexico just to be different from you guys. Not not that I believe it and not, not that I care if I'm right, but we we all can't be wrong. One of us will be right, at least, or two of us will be right. So, yeah, um, this has been our Group C preview. Again, shout out to Cesar, Christopher, Matt, and Roy for joining us. Um, you can follow me at Daniel to look. Carl, where can people get you? Anchorman616 on Twitter and over on The Athletic. All right. Have hope. Where can you be found? I can be found around, man, around the, around the corner. <laughs> Halfhopefootballhut.com. Uh, yeah, talking tactics podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always football. We're taking the weekend off, and we'll be back on Monday with Group D. So we'll see oh. you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.